We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today. So if you have your Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 2. We are finishing up this series called Ecclesia as we talk about the people of God, that God has assembled himself um, a people. And so this is our last week, and though I am sad, uh, I'm excited about the future. Next week, we'll have um, Matt Oberhelman preaching, um, our pastor of worship. And so I encourage you to be here for that. And then the week after that, we're going to start a series on the life of David. Um, so we're going to be walking through First and Second Samuel in two weeks. So I hope that you'll join us for that. But I am excited about uh, today. We're going to go from Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11, all the way to verse 22. Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple and the Lord. And in him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Um, Before we jump in, we've been praying for different churches every single week, and so um, I want to invite you today to actually pray for the global church. We've been focusing in on the purpose of the church, and so um, we want to look outside these walls and pray for brothers and sisters gathering all over the world. You can pray for those in our own body uh, who are serving. Julie Anderson, Matt Wells, both serving with YWAM. Uh, Katie and I have a guest today. Julie, you go ahead and wave your hand. Julie is serving in Ecuador long-term. She's here for a week and a half, and so she's visiting us. And so pray for her and her ministry. Uh, But pray for all the brothers and sisters of the world today that are gathering in Haiti and India and China and Pakistan, Yemen. I mean, there's people in every country gathering for the glory of Jesus today. So first thing I want to do is just say a quick prayer for our global brothers and sisters um, that are worshiping around the world. So let me pray for them. Father, I thank you that we live in a place where we can come and worship freely. Um, And I acknowledge, God, that there are people gathering in houses in different places all around the world, that if someone found out, they would be persecuted. So God, I pray for the brothers and sisters in Europe and Africa and Australia, I mean, all around the world, God, that are praising your name. God, may may their hearts be filled with joy as they sit under your word today, that the blood of Christ has brought them near to you, and to each other. So God, we are so thankful for our brothers and sisters around the world. May you lift them up and encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So when I was in high school, I grew up in South Texas, home of the Fighting Gobblers in Cuero, Texas. Um, and so I got invited to go to church camp. And I didn't know what that was. I didn't go to, go to church. It sounded kind of cheesy to me. And so one of the guys on the basketball team asked me if I wanted to go. And I said, I don't know, man. I don't do that church thing. The youth minister called me a couple weeks later and said, hey, uh, someone paid for you. You don't know me, but someone paid for you to go because I didn't have enough money to go. They said, the camp is in Roach, Missouri. And I was like, I got to go now. I got to go see what Roach, Missouri looks like. It's actually a beautiful place. And um, I get there and the pastors, the camp pastors talking and I don't understand what he's saying, but I remember sitting in my seat thinking, all right, whatever this guy is talking about, I'm in. Like Whatever this gospel thing is, I'm in. And that was actually the easy part. When I got back home, I decided that I was going to go to church at First Baptist Church of Cuero, Texas. And I remember sitting in my car thinking, am I just an idiot? Right? Because I was by myself. My parents didn't go to church, so I drove myself to church. I remember sitting in my car and thinking, is this really what I want to do? <laughs> Walk into this church? Like, who am I to think that I belong in that place? Like, are you just an idiot, Colton? Like, what in the world? And I, and I remember sweating before I got out of the car. And I, and I got out of the car and I started walking towards this beautiful building. And I'll never forget, there was this lady. She was probably like 70 years old, which is young. I'm not saying anything. Um, she was prob- but she was older. And, and I was, I'm a teenager and I'm walking up and I remember she saw me and it, it felt like she started sprinting towards me, this old lady. And, and she ran up to me and she gave me the biggest hug. And as a 16-year-old, I was kind of caught between two emotions. One, I was like, this is kind of weird. Like, old ladies don't normally sprint towards me and hug me. Um, but on the other hand, um, it was nice. It was, it was so encouraging. Someone saw me and sought after me, pursued me, gave me a hug, and she said, I'm so glad that you're here. And from that moment on, that place, for those two years when I was in high school, man, they showed me that I belonged among them, I would tell myself lies. You don't belong here. You're all alone here. But God, over and over, through those people, showed me that I had a place there, that I belong. And that's what we all want, isn't it? We all want to belong to something. We all want to be a part of something. There's something powerful about knowing that you found people that you belong to, a purpose to belong to. And all throughout Scripture, God will make two things clear. One, that you were designed to belong to him. And two, that you were designed to belong to the people of God. Just like I belong to the people at First Baptist Church, Quero, that we're meant to belong to God and we're meant to belong to each other. Um, I remember when I was in college, there was an old band called the David Crowder Band. Have you ever heard of them? Um, So the David Crowder Band, they were super popular like 10 years ago. I don't know if they're still popular or not. Uh, But they came onto our campus to lead worship one night. There's like 500 students uh, at this gathering, and they had a very popular song at the time called Only You, okay? The bridge of that song said, and it's just you and me here now. Only you and, here, you and me here now, talking about God. And I remember at the time, I loved that song. I would sit in my car, and I would listen to it. I would, I would do my uh, devotionals, and I would, I would listen to that song, and I would just sing it. And at this worship gathering, David Crowder gets to the bridge of that song, and he says, he sings, it's just you and me here now. And there was this girl that was sitting next to me. And she, her head kind of popped up and she said, 
at really loud. She said, that's not true. And like the 50 people all around us just turned and looked at her. I'm like, I don't know her, okay? <laughs> um, and so afterwards, I said, what was that about? Like, why did you say that? And she said, there's, it's pretty simple. She said, there's a ton of people here. I'm not, it's just not just me and God. It's us together worshiping God. And I was kind of like, oh, okay, it's a little black and white. But I thought about it later, and as I've gotten older, I've thought, you know, she's right. We in the Western world, we have a very individualistic idea about worshiping God, about what it means to worship God, that it's just me and God, and each person in here is on their individual journey of worshiping God, that you're on your individual journey, I'm on my individual journey, and so when we gather, it's just me and God, and it creates this mindset that Everything that I need from God, I can get on my own. But what we have to understand is that, yes, it's important that you do connect to God on an individual level. It is important. I'm not knocking that. But that's just part of the picture, that the moment you get connected to God, you get connected to an us. The moment you get connected to God, you get connected to an us. That when he saves you from your sin, you now belong to a family. Brothers and sisters, mothers, fathers who unite with you in your walk with Christ. And that reality is mind-blowing when you think about humanity's natural tendency to separate into us's and them's. This is what we do. We separate into us's and them's. That everyone has an us. It's not necessarily a bad thing. We have people that we relate to, people that we would call our people, people that we feel comfortable with. Maybe we look like them, we talk like them, we act like them, we are working from similar assumptions. They are my people. To, they, to, to this day, if you get me playing cornhole, you will hear that South Texas accent come out. You'll hear some dadgummits and some shoots, right? I mean, you'll just, you'll just see it come out. It's natural, and we all do this when we get around certain people, right? But the natural posture of the world it's to seclude yourself into us's and them's. And what can become to happen is you'll say, well, this is us and we are not them. And we begin to build walls. They're not like us, therefore they don't belong with us. Even as Christians, we do this. I'll never forget, um, in seminary, we had this one class that was pretty split down the middle between like theology-focused degrees and counseling-focused Degrees And those two groups did not like each other one bit. I remember the theology students uh, would ask questions like, uh, Professor, what's the uh, aorist passive of that verb? And the counseling people would always make little snide comments. And the counseling people would, would ask questions like, um, what do you think like, from Paul's background made him say that? Right? And so it was always these more counseling-focused questions. And then finally, at one point in the semester, it just hit a pinnacle. We were on this online discussion board talking about one of Paul's letters, and uh, the theology folks started calling the counseling folks heretics based on what they were saying. And the counsel- I remember one counselor uh, told this one guy, she said, uh, she said, you know, I think you've got some daddy issues, and so I expect to see you in my office in 10 years. <laughs> this was on an online discussion board for seminary. And these Christians were just going at it with each other. It got so bad, the professor had to post an article that he had written about unity in the body of Christ to these seminary students. It was embarrassing. We all have a tendency, no matter how holy we think we are, to create us's 
and thems. I live this way and they live that way. And the reality is the more you seclude yourself to that idea, the more you build up and segregate yourself from them. And church history has a terrifying history of forgetting the requirement to belong. That we forget we didn't earn our place here. We forget that we aren't here on our own merit, that we are here because of one person, Jesus Christ. And we forget that he's called the us to go to the them. So we have to be curious. So it's amazing. When you get to a passage like this in Ephesians 2, where Paul will make it clear that God is doing something unique through Jesus Christ, that he's taking the us's and the them's, and he's uniting them under one banner, under one calling, the calling to belong to Jesus Christ, that he's taking enemies, people who have no business being in fellowship with one another, and he's bringing them together through the power of the transformation of Jesus Christ. And if you were to peek into the first century, when the book of Ephesians was written, you would have seen that the greatest conflict of the time was between the Jew and the Gentile. And Paul is writing this letter to the Gentile, the ethnos, the non-Jew, and he says, he tells them, hey, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And he reminds these Gentiles that, hey, there was a time. There was a time when there was a separation between you and the Jews. One time you were called the uncircumcision, that there was physical evidence that you did not belong. In Genesis, circumcision was given to the people of God as a symbol that they were chosen by God, that they belonged to God, that God had made a covenant with the Jewish people. And circumcision was the physical evidence that they belonged to God. And much of the Old Testament is the story, right, of his purpose, of God's purpose behind choosing the Jewish people that he told Abraham in Genesis 12. From you, I am making a people. I am, I am building you up. I am going to bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. I am making you into a great nation, Abraham. From you will come many. And through you, Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Through the us, the them will be blessed. But if you read the Old Testament all the way into the Gospels, you will see that the Jewish people had lost sight of their calling. They missed the reality that God blessed them so that they would be a blessing to the nations. And instead of taking a posture of humility, they took a posture of arrogance. We are the circumcision. They are the uncircumcision. You're on the outside. We're chosen by God and you are not. And Paul reminds them, hey, the circum- for the circumcision, that is made in the flesh by hands. And he points it out because all throughout the Old Testament, God will get angry at his people because he says, you have the externals of religion. You have the externals, but your heart is off. You have the externals of belonging to me, but really your heart does not belong to me. He will say in Deuteronomy, Jeremiah, Joshua, he will say, I wanted a circumcised heart, a changed heart. I didn't just want physical appearance but I wanted internal love and glory, that a moral life that has the appearance of glory given to God without the heart surrender is not what God is after. But he's after a heart that worships him. And so he says in verse 12, he says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. He says, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant, having no hope with God, without God in the world, that he wants them to remember that there was a time you Gentiles, when you were separated, 
There was a time when you were the them, when it seemed like you were strangers to the covenant. You were alienated. You were without God, without hope. See, for the Jew, they could look to the future and bank on the fact that someone was coming. A Messiah was coming. God had made a promise to them, and God does not break his promises. A king is coming. But for the Gentile, there was a time when they didn't even know. They didn't know anybody was coming for them. They were strangers. They were alienated. They were without hope. They didn't belong. But if you know the story of the Bible, you know the providence of God. The grand plan to unite people through the blood of his son. And so he says in verse 13, but now. You were once alienated. You were separated. You were without hope. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The implications there are massive. You who were far, far off have been brought near. That each one of us, at one point, did not belong. We didn't know that we belonged to God. We didn't know that we belonged to God's people. We were strangers, alienated, separated, but God brought us near. We all had the same story. We were all far off, but God sought us and he brought us near. And what unites the us's and the them's is nothing more than the blood of Christ. That for some of you, he came for you when you were five years old, singing hymns in church. For some of you, he came through to you. He brought you near through parents who loved you. And they wanted you to know nothing more than the blood of Jesus that covers your sin. For some of you, he came for you much later in life when you were in the pit. You didn't know what you were going to do. And God came and got you and pulled you out. It wasn't like you reached out to grab him. He grabbed you and pulled you out. For some of you, he's still coming after you right now. That for all of us, no matter how God has come for us, that he comes for us and he brings us near by his blood, that he spilled his blood on a piece of wood that he spoke into existence. And in his perfect plan, he sought you. He sought you so that you would belong to him and he saved you through the power of that blood. That's why he says he's our peace. The only way we can have peace with God, the only way that we can belong to God is through his blood. Jesus has purchased us with his blood. He tells the Gentile and the Jew, two groups that historically hated each other. He says that wall of hostility, it's gone. The physical marks of division, he has turned it to peace through his blood. And and I want to say something specific about that word wall, because I think, and there are many people who are much smarter than me who agree with me, that Paul uses that word wall here um, on purpose, that it was a metaphor, it was a picture, and the original group reading this would have understood the reference that the wall that Paul is talking about represented the temple and Jerusalem, that the temple in Jerusalem was a physical picture of the separation that happened between God, God's people, and the Gentiles. That if you walked into the temple in Jerusalem, there would be some walls in place, places that you could go, places that you couldn't go, and only certain people could go over here, and certain people could not go over here. In fact, you guys love the illustration so much last week. Let's do another one, okay? I need like five people. Who wants to volunteer? I'm going to start calling on people. All right, Carol, Henry, just bring the baby too. Yeah, Henry, Penelope, Danny, let's have, you, let's have you come down. Let's come on. Let's see. No, this is good. This is good. I need one more dude. Come on. 
All right. Okay, so in the temple, there were physical walls. There was physical separation. Yeah, y'all can all just stand over there. Uh, physical separation. So certain places pe- people could go and some, some places other people couldn't go. I need a high priest. All right, come over here. So at the center of the temple was the Holy of Holies. This was the place uh, where God dwelt. This is where the presence of God was. There was a box in the middle. There was the ark. And in the ark, you had the table of, uh, not the table of contents, uh, the, <laughs> the Ten Commandments. It kind of is like a table of contents, I guess. Uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Woo! Uh, see what happens when you step away from your notes, okay? Uh, but you, you had the Ten Commandments. And so once a year, the high priest, our brother right here, the high priest would walk in and he would offer a sacrifice. He would cover the mercy seat with the blood of the lamb and it would be a forgiveness for the people of God. But you can only do that once a year. You can only be in the presence of God really once a year. Now there was walls that separated that room from where the priest could be. So Danny's our priest, okay? So now Danny, you can be here. You're kind of holy, but you can't go into the Holy of Holies. You're not allowed in there. There's a separation between you and Henry over here. And then... Um, I need you. Um, and then you had the Jewish men. There was a wall that separated the priests from the Jewish men. So you can, you can be this close, but you're, you're, st- you're not that far. You're kind of close, okay? And then there was another wall that separated the men from the Jewish women right here, okay? So you can be this close, but you can't be as close as the men. Sorry. My bad. Well, not my bad. They're bad. But, um, and then you had a massive wall that separated the inner court from the outer court. And this is where you would have the Gentiles. So Penelope would be known, <laughs> Penelope would be, no, be known as a God-fearer. She was interested in learning about the God of Israel. So she would come to the temple and she would worship. But Penelope, by the way, we're going to put thousands of animals around you and all the money changers. And so good luck trying to worship. Okay? So... Here's what Paul is saying. Oh, wait, I need one more. Let's do Tristan all the way in the back. Stand up, brother. So when Paul talks about the far off, he's not talking about the God-fearers. He's talking about the people that were prostitutes, the people that were unclean, the people that weren't allowed. They had no idea. They had no idea. They have no idea that the God of Israel even wanted them to know about him. And so here's what Paul is saying. I'm going to make you walk up here, Tristan. I'm sorry. Um, So go ahead and make your way. Um, What Paul is saying in verse 13 is that you who are far off, you didn't know. You didn't even know to come. You were strangers. You were alienated. You were outside of the covenant of God. And so Tristan, what he's saying is you who were far off have now been brought near to the presence of God. In fact, everybody come. Everybody. Huddle up. Get real close, right? So, this is what he's saying. You who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ into the presence of God. And not only has he divided, broken down the wall between God and the people of God and the Gentiles and the God-fears and those who are far off, but he's also brought the, broken down the walls between each of you. He's brought you together. You belong to God, so now you belong to an us. Does that make sense? All right, you guys can go. Give them a round of applause. Thank you, guys. Thank you. I know that uh, some of you 
really like illustrations, so that would be the last one I do for the year, I promise. Um, look at verse 15. He goes on in, to say in verse 15 that God has broken down those walls by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. He, he mentions abolishing the law. Why does he mention that? Because the law exposes not just the reality that the Gentiles were far from God, but the law also reveals the reality that the Jewish people were far from God as well, that all of us, every single one of us, is unable to follow the law. The law exposes that we are our inability to follow God, to, to love God. Paul says in Romans that the law reveals our sin, that no human being can keep the law of God perfectly. And if you want to be in the Holy of Holies, you got to keep the law perfectly. You have to be perfect. There is no forgiveness without perfection according to the law. To enjoy the presence of God meant that you had to keep those commandments. You had to keep all of God's commands. But because we were unable to keep God's law, we are all separated both Jew and Gentile. So Paul says he abolishes the law. How? By creating in himself one new man that would make peace. That Jesus took on our inability to follow the law and he took on that judgment himself. And he destroyed the wall of hostility between us and God. And he says to verse 16 that Jesus reconciled us both, Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility that he took the curse of the law upon himself. It doesn't matter what us you are a part of or what them you belong to. If Christ has brought them near by the blood of Christ, they belong. You know, one of the most humbling experiences I've had as a pastor is, and I think I can speak for all of our elders, it's when we serve you communion. We did it last week. Um, when we serve you communion, it is one of the most daunting and humbling experiences that we have, because some of you in here have been Christians for 50, 60 years. That's, that's longer than I've been alive. Just want you to know that. Um, so it's a little intimidating even sometimes when you come up and we get to look you in the eyes and say, hey, the body of Christ was broken for you. The blood of Christ was shed for you. And then some of you walk up and, and we know the struggles that you have, the hurts, the pains that you walk through. And we get to look you in the eyes and say, hey, the body of Christ was broken for you. The blood of Christ was shed for you. And then for some of you, you bring our kids up and we get to kneel down and we get to look them in the eyes and we get to tell them, hey, the body of Christ was broken for you. And the blood of Christ was shed for you. That it's overwhelming sometimes to look at each of you with all your different backgrounds, your different personalities, and to know that God has sought you and he has purchased you with his blood and to tell you that, that we all belong because of him. And the cross is the central piece of this. When Christ died, he covered the sins of the Jew and the Gentile for all who would believe in him. That he provided a righteousness for the Jew. He provided a righteousness for the Gentile. And he did this by making himself their substitute. That he took on the punishment that they both deserved and the righteousness they both received came from him. He says in verse 19, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. God, If I could nerd out on Greek, I've done this before, but that word aliens is the word para oikios. oikios. 
Para means by, by or outside, and oikios means house. So Paul is saying, you are no longer by the house or outside the house. That there was a place where a celebration was happening. The people of God were in there, worshiping in full satisfaction. And then at one point, you were by the house. You were outside the house, but God has called you to belong. And he's brought you in. He's brought you near by the blood of Christ, that you now belong with the saints and members of the household of God. And by the way, this is one of the reasons that we have membership here at Renewal Church. Because biblically, there is an official sense of belonging to the people of God, belonging to the household of God. It's not just that you attend church, but that you belong to God and you belong to the people of God. That we, when we say we are a member, we are saying we are all accountable to one another. That we are committed in the love, that we profess publicly, I belong to this group of people, right? That I'm inviting you when I say that, not only to love me, which is what we're going to do with anybody who walks in here on a Sunday morning, anyone who comes to our home, we're going to love you, we're going to shepherd you, we're going to care for you, we're going to preach the gospel to you, but to be a member is to say, no, I am asking you to keep me accountable. I am asking you to encourage me. I welcome, I welcome your love for me. I welcome you to call me out if you see me treat someone that shouldn't, the way that they shouldn't be treated. I want you to challenge me in the way that I live my life. It's a commitment both to God and to the people of God that it's a proclamation that I belong here. I'm a citizen here. I'm a member here. That's what membership means. And I love how Paul ends this section. He says, in whom the whole structure being joined together, verse 21, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That it's not just that we're a bunch of individuals on our journey with the Lord. Right? That's how we think of the Christian life sometimes, that God is joining us together. Look at the language he uses. It's, it's similar to the walls, right? He's bringing that language back. God is joining us together into a holy temple, a place where God dwells, joining us together to be a place where God's glory is known. It doesn't matter your age, your background, what sins you've done or what sins you have not done or what sins they've done. He's uniting us to belong to him, to belong to one another, that he breaks down those walls of hostility. And look, I know this, you know this, the people of God are messy, right? We are, we are a messy group of people. There's no one that is perfect here. There will be hurt. There will be conflicts. The question is, do you believe that Christ has called you to belong to him? Because if he has called you to belong to him, he has called you to belong to an us, to the people of God. You were never meant to do this alone. God has designed you to belong to him, and he has designed you to belong to the people of God. And my favorite example in all scripture of this idea is in Acts 16. Acts 16, where you meet the first members of the Philippian church. If you have your Bible, go ahead and go there. In Acts 16, Paul walks up to a group of women. One of the women there was a woman named Lydia. So in Acts 16, 14, it says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper. She was a God-fearer, a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So this is the first member of the church in Philippi. We learn that Lydia is from Thyatira, which means that she was of Asian background. She's a seller of purple goods, which means that she's wealthy. 
Um, we know that later on that the Philippian church begins to meet in her house. So she's an Asian woman. She is a successful businesswoman whom God opened her heart to hear the scriptures preached by Paul. So God saved her through her mind, that he opened her mind through her intellect. And then in verse 16, we meet a girl who is the exact opposite of Lydia. It says, as they were going, talking about Paul, to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. So this girl has a demonic spirit. She gave information to people to tell them secrets about their lives, and her owners were using that demonic spirit in this girl as a way to make money. And she's following, verse 17, she's following Paul, and she's crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God. She's a distraction, right? Paul's trying to preach the gospel, and she's distracting. And so Paul gets greatly annoyed in verse 18, and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that there's a moment of Holy Spirit power that this girl is saved. He says, I command you to come out of her. And that girl is saved. That he commanded the thing that ruled her on the inside, that in turn made her a slave on the outside to release her. And she goes from being a slave to that demon inside of her, a slave to human beings, to knowing the freedom that is in Christ. The owners get mad about this, and so naturally, in verse 20, it says, when they had brought them to the magistrates, talking about Paul, they said about Paul and Silas, they said, these men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept our practice. Do you see the us's and them's there? These men are Jews. They are asking us, Romans. And so they arrest Paul and Silas. They put them in jail, and here we meet the third member of the Philippian church. Um, They had told the jailer, hey, you know, don't torture them. Um, And and so naturally the the jailer puts them in stocks, which was a way of torture. Um, It was this brutal and horrific practice of contorting your body in all sorts of different directions until eventually you would either cramp or your body would give out altogether. And so they're being tortured. And in verse 25, it says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. They're preaching. This guy is torturing Paul and Silas, and they are singing hymns. They are praising God. There's nothing you can do to Paul that would make him spiral or doubt or that would cause him despair. And as they're praying, God brings an earthquake. The doors fly open, and the jailer pulls out his sword to kill himself, which you would do because if during Roman law, if you were to lose a prisoner, their life was yours. So then you would give your life in payment uh, for theirs. And so he's going to kill himself, and Paul says, wait. We're still here. Don't do it. We're all still here. So what does the jailer do? He runs up to Paul. It says he was trembling. And he asked the most important question that any of us could answer. How do I be saved? What must I do? Trembling on his knees. And so Paul says, well, you got to clean up your life a little bit. you you got to go to church you got to be holy. you got to be perfect. Is that what he says? Is that what the church preaches sometimes? What does he say? Verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. So you have Lydia. You have the slave girl. You have the jailer. Jailer's blue collar, 
Roman soldier, nationalistic, duty-bound. He lives and breathes according to the expectations of Rome. And God saves him not through his intellect, but he saves him through the compassion of others, right? When Paul and Silas chose not to run. You've also got uh, Lydia, wealthy, Asian, businesswoman, well, to get, well put together, probably respected. You've got the demon-possessed girl, dirty, broken, violated. These are the three people that God chooses to begin the Philippian church through. Do you think there were some issues in that church when they started off? Do you think that the, the, the slave girl had a hard time trusting the blue-collar jailer? I wonder if Lydia had some control problems. <laughs> Being a wealthy businesswoman, I'm just saying, I don't know. There are three different ethnicities, three different classes. One's wealthy, one's poor, one's middle class. I mean, do you think that they had to overcome some stuff? Yeah. But you belong to God, you belong to an us. And God was building his church in Philippi, that it doesn't matter what differences we have on paper, that we belong to an us. Some, God, some of us in this room, God saved through your intellect. He opened your mind to understand the scriptures. Some of you, he saved through a moment of Holy Spirit power. It was God, without a doubt, saving you from that sin or saving you from those circumstances or pulling you out of the muck and the mire. For some of you, God saved you through the love of someone else, a parent, an aunt, a friend, but for all of us, we have one thing in common. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by what? The blood of Christ. That you have been brought near to God himself through the blood of his son, Jesus. You belong to him and there's nothing in this world that can change that. Do you believe that? That there is nothing in this world that can separate you from the blood of Christ, that once the blood of Christ covers you, there's no one doing that. There's no stealing you away from Christ. The blood of Christ is final. You are forgiven, so believe it. And if that's true, it also means that you have a place here among us, that you have a right to be loved by the people of God. You have a right to be encouraged, to be challenged, because if you belong to him, you belong to it. You, that comes with some things. If you belong to him, that comes with some things. And if you belong to an us, that also comes with some things. You belong to God, you belong to us. And so my encouragement to you is to encourage somebody this week. Remind them that they belong. That they belong to Christ, and that we belong to one another. Mm -hmm.